uh, we're going to play a word association game. All right, so I'm going to give you a word. When I give you that word, I don't want you to think. I don't want you to try and give me. I want you to just turn to the person to your right or to your left and give them the first word that comes to mind. Whatever here. All right. So, okay, you ready for this? All right. First word. Avengers. All right, next one. Next one. Summer. Uh. All right, next. Listen, all right. Pistol. Wait, who I heard so who did not say Pete? I heard somebody firing. firing. Okay, that, that works too. All right. Pistol firing. There you go. I like it. All right. Chick-fil-A. I heard several people say Ryan on that one. I like that. Although that would have also worked for Avengers. Um, maybe for some reason. I don't know. Um, all right, last one. Church. They didn't say Ryan on that one, Ryan. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, we spent the year uh, walking through the book of Genesis, which, which, as we described it, is the story of God establishing His covenant people, a people by which He would bless the whole world, uh, first and foremost by revealing His nature and His character, and ultimately by bringing uh, His own Son through that people group into the world to save the world. Uh, then a couple weeks ago, we actually... Uh, took a moment to, to walk through the scriptures and see how this covenant people Israel, that actually the true Israel, the truest form, the truest one who reveals who God is and who blesses the world, is Jesus himself. That actually when you read through the Gospels, that Jesus uh, fills out many of the things that Israel is said to do throughout the Old Testament. That he takes on uh, the characteristics of those and shows himself to be the truest. And that all those who then attach themselves to Jesus, the true Israel, are now part of the new covenant people. Uh, that is the church. And so we want to spend the next few days or a few weeks, uh, these last few weeks actually, talking about what that means. What does it mean to be the church? So we have our five things at the table. Um, these five uh, characteristics, these five values that we uh, hope to instill in you as students by the time you leave because we believe when those things um, are in a young person as they go off into the world that that sets them up uh, for, for the kind of life that God is calling them to. Uh, one of the main ones on there, actually I guess they're all kind of main, but is this one right here in the middle, commitment to community. We define that as making life in the body of Christ a priority. And, and we have noticed that students who do well in school, and of course those after, do that. They are committed to community. They make life in the body of Christ um, not just something that's kind of part of their life, but it is something that is a priority for them. And we want to talk over these next few weeks about A, doing that, and also why you do that, and also how you do that. So that's what we'll be focusing in on as we close out the semester tonight. We're working through this first question, uh, what is the church? When we say the word church, I, I, could, I, could do that, um, I could do that little word association game with a thousand people and just say the word church and all kinds of different answers uh, would come up in that because there are a lot of things that are attached to people's memories and past and history and there are a lot of things in the culture that pop up and so you say the word church and, and words like steeple come up or family or singing or preaching or boring or whatever it may be 
um, there are a lot of different words that come to mind. For some people, actually, uh, it's not concrete things in their mind. It's, it's feelings that pop up right away. Um, warmth or nostalgia or guilt or anger or shame. Uh, that word church holds so much connotations for a lot of different people. And it's something that's difficult to get our minds fully around what we mean when we say church for a couple different reasons. The first is the two main ways that we use that word are both wrong. The, the majority of the time that the word church gets used, and, and you already know this, uh, but the majority of the time that the word church gets used, it refers to either a building or a worship service. We say things like, you know, go up there, there's a church on your left, and you'll take a right when you get to that church, right? We, we talk about that, the structure itself as, as the church. Or I'll tell, I'll tell my wife I'm going to swing by the church on the way home to pick up something, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, or we, we say, I, I'm a churchgoer. Well, I go to church. Did you go to church this Sunday? And what we mean by that is, did you attend a worship service? Did you go into that building that we call the church? And then did you sit there and sing songs and listen to a sermon? Did you go to church? Neither of those things are actually the proper biblical definition of what a church is, but they are so a part of our collective language, our collective thought on church, that it kind of shapes the way we think about the church sometimes. The other reason that this is difficult to get our minds fully around is that the concept of church is rich and beautiful. And it's thick. And so it's hard to get our, our arms, our minds completely around it. And definitions for the church can be true, but they can also be lacking. So here's, here's the definition. One of the better definitions I've come across, at least more straightforward, it's by a... Uh, a uh, scholar by the name of Greg Allison, and he wrote a book about the church called Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church. Here's his definition. The church is the fellowship of all Christians that extends from the day of Pentecost until the second coming, incorporating both the deceased believers who are presently in heaven and the living believers from all over the world. That's the church. And uh, that's... A very true definition, and that, and that definition kind of combats some of the wrong thinking about a church being a building or a worship service or whatever those things, but it does not really give a full picture of what the church is. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's good. It just doesn't give the full picture, and, and like I said, I don't know if any one definition can, so when the Bible describes the church, primarily what it does is it uses pictures. It uses metaphors. It uses these word pictures, these images, to help describe. And it doesn't just use like one or two. It uses a lot of them. Because um, not only can um, no single definition define all that the church is, neither can any single word picture or metaphor. And so we'll find scattered throughout the scriptures all these different um, pictures, all these different ideas of what it means to be the church. So um, what I want to do is I want to just share a few of them from kind of different places and we'll kind of jump around a little bit. And, and then I want to settle in on one passage and, and we'll talk about that one passage. But I want to mention these and each one of these word pictures is used in scripture because this, this different idea, this picture captures like a different facet of what it means to be the church. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. I'm asking for group participation uh, from you. Uh, I want to, I'm going to list out one of these pictures, and then I want you to start thinking through. I want you to do the work in your mind and go, okay, when the New Testament writers use this image, what are they trying to teach about the church? What is implied about the identity of the church, what it is and what it does, all right? So uh, here's, here's a few of them. The first one is this. This is... Probably the most often used in the, well, I'm going to use a different marker. Um, this is probably the most often used in the Bible. And it is certainly Paul's favorite. The body of Christ. That's how actually we say it. We say making life in the body of Christ a priority. This is um, one of the favorites that are in there. This one is used in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 3, in Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 5, and in Colossians 1. 
one of the things actually you'll see is uh, one of the places that deals with it the most is Ephesians. You'll, you'll see a lot of these pictures come up in Ephesians because Paul is trying to help a people who have never known what it's like to be the people of God. He's trying to help them learn what that means. And so you'll see a lot of those things in Ephesians there. But um, pops up a lot there. So what ideas, what facet of the church are being conveyed through this idea of the body of Christ? What are some things that that tells us about what the church is? Okay, diverse. All right. What else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Okay. Why sacrifice? Um, when I hear the body of Christ, I usually think of communion. Okay. Okay. This tying in together, which Paul actually does in the book of 1 Corinthians. He kind of ties the oneness of the loaf, the body of Christ that you partake together, with the one body that we are together. Um, that's why, if you've ever wondered why Sunnybrook um, does that thing where we ask everybody to hold it until we can take it all at once. It's, it's our small way of trying to kind of show what communion is, which is not just remembering Jesus, but remembering the unity of the body. There's actually another one I just shared with you, unity. Often, when the Bible uses this word body, when Paul uses it, he, he likes to use this word in front of it, one one body. We being many members make up one body. It's, it's a unified whole. It's not like, a, it's not like a, a, a basket of apples, right, where you've got this one basket, but it's got a bunch of little things in it. No, it's, it's one all together. And yes, there are many members, but each of these things are connected in and forming one thing, one body. What else does this teach us? Multifunctional. Okay, multifunctional. Um, different things that are done in there. You could say it teaches with kind of along that activity. Uh, bodies are meant to be, when they're healthy and living, they're meant to be active. And so it, it implies that there's, there's something that we're supposed to do, that there's a mission. Uh, so when it talks about the body of Christ, that's more than just kind of a metaphor for, you know, we're all kind of co connected there. Um, Luke, I think, I, I think we've shared this here. Luke, when he begins the book of Acts, uh, he starts it by saying, in my first book, Theophilus, this is Acts 1-1, my first book, Theophilus, which his first book was what? There you go, okay, just making sure you're paying attention. If anybody said John there, then you were going to be. Um, so his first book was Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he says this, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote all about the things that Jesus Christ began to do during his time on the earth, which is a really weird way to describe a book that is all about the entire life of Jesus on earth began to do. But what Luke is implying by that, I believe, is that Jesus, I'm now about to tell you the rest of what Jesus does. And what he means is that Jesus does his work through the church. It is actually Christ working when Paul goes on his missionary journeys. It is Jesus working when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches. What Jesus began to do is the gospel, and what Jesus continues to do is acts and beyond. And so we are actively doing the things of Jesus. Anything else? Building up. Okay, building up. That bodies grow. And this is my, maybe my favorite chapter on the church, Ephesians 4, that um, when we grow, there's, there's actually very little in the scriptures talking about your own personal growth. Uh, most of it is talking about the way we as a body grow as we are connected into Jesus Christ the head. That like a, a finger cut off from the body can't grow um, because it's got to be connected to the body into the head. And that is actually the next one. The next one is connection to Jesus is what it shows us. Just like a body lives by being connected to the head, so does the church. One more at least, there's multiple more. Anything else you're thinking of? Submission to Jesus. Um, the body does what the head tells it to do. And, and Paul often uses that metaphor to describe the fact that we do what he says, that, that we fall under his authority, that we fall under his leadership. Here's another one. Um, the Bride of Christ. This one is found primarily in Ephesians 5. This is the main one where Paul says that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to be a pure and spotless bride, his bride. Um, so that's a big one. What, 
What do we learn about what the church is through this? I thought I saw a hand raised. I was just okay. Okay, relationship. That actually um, we're not just kind of this gathering of people that worship this man, but that we are also like in relationship with him, uh, intimacy and connection with him. Okay. Okay, covenant. That there is. Um, something that is entered into that is deep. This is uh, kind of this mind-blowing statement in, in towards the back of Ephesians 5, um, or I guess it's, it's around verse 10 or something, where, where Paul will say, uh, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis there. But then he says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church when I say that. I think he's actually saying, this is talking about Jesus in the church. In other words, do you know why God created marriage? He created it to be a preview, to be a shadow, to be an illustration of a reality that he had planned to to take place like way later, which is Christ in the church. That there is in the same way that a man and woman are supposed to come together and become one flesh, that that is what Christ and his church does. There is an intimacy there. There is a closeness. There is a relationship and a covenant there. What else? What this one? Belonging. Um, if we are his bride, that means we belong to him and to no other lovers, to no other um, suitors, that there's only one that our affections and our loyalty and our love ought to go toward, and that is Jesus himself. Uh, here's one more for, for this section here. This one you don't see as much, but actually there's different words around it that are used a lot. The household of God. This specific phrase comes in Ephesians 2.19. Um, but the idea is also referenced in Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. Um, and the concept is touched on in 1 John 3 where he says, uh, See how much he loves us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. It's like uh, it's hit on in Hebrews 12 when it talks about how God disciplines the children that he loves. That is us. And so this household of God, what does this, when, when the Bible chooses to use this phrase to describe what the church is, what is it trying to tell us about the church? Family. Family. Okay. Um, that there is not just a connection to Him, but there is we, a family that is created uh, amongst one another. Uh, Jesus says this in Mark 10, that anyone who... Uh, gives up mother or father or sister or brother or houses or property to follow me, uh, will not fail to receive as hun- a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. What he's saying is, no matter what it may cost you family-wise, no matter how far your family may be from the Lord, no matter the distance that that may create between you and your family as you seek to follow me, I promise you, Jesus, you're going to get a hundred moms. You're going to get a hundred dads and brothers and sisters through the church. By the way, a lot of theologians think this is actually the case too. Uh, family, uh, the church, let's see, how, how do I want to say this? Uh, the church is not just kind of this cool illustration. When we say family, it's like, yeah, church ought to be like a family. Actually, what it's saying is like family ought to be like church. The church is the reality. The family is the shadow. The family is the picture. And so you don't, even if you don't come from a family, a good family, you've, you've still got the chance to be a part of the reality that that family is supposed to illustrate. What else? Discipline. Okay, like a father disciplines his son, Hebrews 12, that, um, that he does discipline us. Um, for our good, he disciplines us. I throw in that with like a concern for us, that God is not distant from us, that it's not like a, we're not just uh, one of a million that just kind of, you know, is part of this big group, but we are each sons and daughters of his that matter to him. His church, his family, his household matters to him. Okay, 
He's sanctifying us, that He's making us to be like Him, like just like little kids are supposed to grow up to, to be like their mom and dad, that they're going to look like them, that that's what we're supposed to be. Also, this concept gets thrown out a lot, inheritance. Um, that we are, this is Galatians 3 and 4, that we're heirs to the promise, that we're heirs to the blessings of God. In Ephesians 1, uh, it actually says that He saved us so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So He's actually saved us and we have an inheritance that everything you've got on this side is nothing compared to what God is waiting to pour out on you on the other side of eternity. So there are all kinds of word pictures and texts, um, but like I said, I want to spend a few minutes on one particular text because this text, there's a few interesting things about it, uh, but one of the things that's interesting about it is it uses more metaphors per square inch than any other text in the Bible when it comes to describing what the church is. It's 1 Peter 2, so if you've got your Bible, go there real quick, and we're going to read through it. First Peter 2. First Peter is a letter written by Peter to mostly Gentile believers in Asia Minor, okay, in modern-day Turkey. And kind of like the, the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing to these people who, most of them, because they're Gentile, have never known what it means to be a part of God's covenant people. They've never been like, like the Israelites. They've never known what that looks like, what that feels like, what that ought to kind of imply for them. And so they're, they're not fully like sure what it looks like to sit in these shoes. And yet, because they have come to follow Jesus, they've never belonged to the people of God, but because now they've uh, begun to follow Jesus, they no longer belong to their countrymen. They no longer belong to the group that is their neighbors and their fellow citizens. Like They stick out. They don't fit in. They don't belong anywhere. And so you've got these people that are wrestling to figure out what an identity looks like for them, who they are now. And so part of what Peter is doing in this is, is trying to explain to them what their identity is, who it, what it is now to be part of this covenant people. Um, uh, as I read, I will read through, you'll just see how many different pictures come through in this text. Starting in verse 3, 1 Peter 2 verse 3, actually sorry, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, already we have two metaphors, and in the span of one sentence, he switches it. Um, so, the first one he says is a spiritual house, what he's referring to, actually, is what is called elsewhere, like in Ephesians 2, the temple of God. That they are now the, uh, the place where God is. They come to Him, the living stone. This is Jesus. You also, like living stones, are being built up into Him. And this is probably actually the second most popular metaphor in the New Testament to describe what the church is, the behind body of Christ is this house of God, this temple of God, the dwelling place of the Spirit. So the implication here is massive. Um, when we ask this question, where does God reside? Where does God live? The answer is turn to your neighbor. Um, the answer is actually bigger than that is turn to your neighbors. Look at those around you. Look at this room and this is it. This is the dwelling place of God in His people. Um, Last year in 2 Corinthians, we got to talk about the, how crazy that idea would have been to most people, that, that the living God would dwell amongst people. Um, I don't know if you ever hear people make those weird jokes about how you're not supposed to like, do bad things in church, and by that they mean like in a church building. Um, right, like I gotta watch my language. I'm stepping into a church, right? Or, or, or you joke with a friend who you catch him in a lie and say, "I can't believe you just lied in God's house or whatever." You know those those weird kind of things we do um, when we say these ridiculous things, and we're kind of joking. Here's the thing: uh, that statement, you should there should not be any lying in God's house. It's a completely true statement as long as you understand what you mean by God's house. Um, there should not be any lying in God's house. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality in God's house. There should not be any 
anger or violence or bitterness in God's house because this is the dwelling place of God. We, His people, are His dwelling place. And none of those things are right within the dwelling place of God. None of those things belong there. And so when that statement is made, if it is made properly, then it makes all kinds of sense. And it's true and it's profound. Um, Then he quickly switches over to this other uh, word picture, which is a holy priesthood. So he goes from the actual house of God, the temple of God, to those who work in that house, whose, whose job is to minister in that house. The primary job of priests, if you were to kind of put it in a nutshell, is representing God to man and vice versa. Uh, God to man, man to God. The go-between, between, between uh, the deity and humanity. And this is what the church is designed to do. Um, and this fits with what we've said God's covenant people are supposed to be. They're supposed to be revealing who God is to those around Him, His nature and His character to the world around Him. He says that we also offer spiritual sacrifices. What does He mean by that? Think about that for a second. What does it mean to offer spiritual sacrifices? When we hear spiritual, we think not physical. That's not what it means. That's not usually what the Bible means when it says spiritual. Um, Spiritual can still have everything to do with physical. Um, One of the areas, one of the most famous passages that talks about um, offering sacrifices is Romans 12. And it's literally offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Um, also, so, so giving our whole body, laying our body down for Him, those are the kind of sacrifices we offer. Praises are talked about in Hebrews 13. Helping the needy is talked about in Hebrews 13 as sacrifices made to God. But these are the kinds of sacrifices that we offer. It says, though, that these are acceptable, not because we do incredibly good things, not because they're really, really spiritual, the stuff that we're doing, but why are these sacrifices acceptable? Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They are acceptable when they are attached to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus himself. Then he goes into this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and uh, precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe in Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Um, So Peter's quoting here first from Isaiah 8, then from Psalm 118, then Isaiah 28 to make this point about Jesus. Um, A cornerstone, the idea back then when a lot of buildings, especially big ones, were built on a foundation of stone. The cornerstone is the first and the largest stone that you lay in there right at the corner. And if that cornerstone is set and and if itself is square and perfect and if you're able to line every other stone up with that, it will make sure that the rest of the foundation, the rest of the house then calls. In, falls into place. So for that reason, the cornerstone is the most important stone in the building, is the most important stone in the structure. And what Paul, uh, Peter says here is that Jesus is that cornerstone upon which everything else sits. But the irony about Jesus is he either becomes the, uh, the foundation that brings structure to your life or he becomes the very thing that brings destruction to your life. That you'll either build your life around him or you'll fall and trip over him into folly, into destruction. Um, There's only these two options. It says that much of the the world rejected Jesus, but in that process they were stumbling over the one true cornerstone. They were falling. Now, Peter, this isn't the first time he uses this. Uh, He doesn't just use this to Christians. Uh, The first time we see him using it is in Acts 4 and he says it to the Jewish leader's face. And he says that you guys are stumbling over the cornerstone. Now, he didn't come up with the idea. It's from Psalm 118. But he actually heard his own rabbi, Jesus, say this first. And Jesus was also saying it to the Jewish leaders. That the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Uh, We see that in Mark 12. Jesus uses that same phrase. Then he goes on to use this. And here he'll just stack up a bunch. Actually, I should say this. It says they stumble because they disobeyed disobey the word as they were destined to do. I believe, by the way, that it's not saying they were destined to disobey the word, but they were destined to stumble when they disobey the word. 
Anyone who disobeys is destined towards it. And then it says in verses 9 through 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here, what Paul, or what Peter, I always want to say Paul, what Peter does in this section actually, um, besides just stacking metaphor on top of metaphor, he's actually taking this directly out of Exodus 19. So here's what Exodus 19 says. This is God speaking. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he's saying to Israel, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Peter takes all of that and he applies it to the church and says that you now are the, the royal priesthood. You now are the treasured possession. You now are the chosen race that God has set aside. So he uses priesthood. He uses uh, chosen. Chosen race or people. Uh, he uses uh, God's possession. Okay. He uses all these different phrases. Now, a lot of them get thrown around in this, but there is a common denominator to uh, every one of these word pictures, and I think it rings true throughout all the New Testament. If you were to read, read it. Oh, there is this other one. Uh, I think it says this. God's people, he says. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are God's people. Um, I don't know if you can see it yet, if you notice it, the word is theocentric. And that is that everything in, every time you try to use a phrase to describe the church's identity, you cannot do it without making reference to God. That the church's identity, its reference is, it's, it's always referenced in something of God. So we are the body of Christ. We are the household of God. We are a priesthood, and a priesthood's job implied is service to God. We are God's people. We are chosen. By who? By God. We are God's possession. We are a temple of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are the dwelling place of the Spirit. We are the family of God. All of these things, every time you try to put a word or a picture to what the church is, there is no way to do that without basing reference in who God is. And it flows from that. So, I want to show you uh, my favorite pen in the world. Just went and picked this up from Staples today. Had it special ordered into Staples. You can't just get it in the store. Got to special order it online, all right? This is uh, the Pilot Friction. And I've shown some of you this because I really like to geek out about this thing. Um, first of all, looks super cool. That's That's... First, most important thing. Uh, second, uh, it writes really well, flows beautifully, all right? I special ordered the 0. 0.5. 0. 0.7 is in the store, but I'm not, I'm not an idiot, okay? So <laughs> I, don't, I don't go get 0. 0.7s. That's just out of control. You can't control 7 millimeters of ink, 0. 0.7 millimeters of ink. That's just, that'd be insane, all right? So I'm not stupid. I do the 0. 0.5, and it writes beautifully, but still in control. If, however, I do go out of control, it is erasable, which is amazing. Um, and so I love this thing. I use it all the time, and when I run out, I freak out, and because now everything I write is permanent, and it's going to be there forever, and I don't know what the implications of that might be. So uh, I love being able to have this. I have actually learned, though, that I cannot write letters to people in this because um, like, it, it erases through heat. Okay, so if it ends up in a hot mail truck, then the address disappears off the thing. So if you ever go get this really cool pen, don't send letters with it or try to pay bills with it. Um, you'll just send a blank check to people. Uh, anyway, this pen is amazing. I bought this pen, a three-pack for $10.99. All right, so that's how much this is. Now, let me show you another pen. 
This pin here uh, is a fountain pen made back in the 60s. Uh, and it's, uh, first of all, really lame looking, okay? It doesn't have the cool flames on it that mine does, all right? Um, it's just kind of your white and blackish, grayish charcoal thing or whatever. I don't know how well it writes, but I imagine technology has advanced quite a bit since the 50s and 60s so that this writes way better than that pen ever did. Um, but I bought this pen for something like $3.50. That pen right there, or one just like it, uh, sold a couple years ago for $8,700. Um, which upon first look at it seems like that would be absolutely ridiculous. Why would you pay, why would anybody pay $8,000 for any pen, especially one that doesn't erase like this one? <laughs> the reason why though is because that's one of the pens that Lyndon Johnson used to uh, sign the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Uh, he actually used 72 different pens on that, all of them just like that though. Uh, and so I assume 72 because they're crappy and they run out of ink fast or something like that. <laughs> but the truth is about that pen, it does not matter what quality of pen it is or how good it is. It's important because an important person used it for a very important task. That's where all its value comes from. And that's what makes it amazing. And that's what makes that pen worth $8,000. That's what makes that pen beautiful and really cool. Um, the most important organization or institution on the face of the planet at any time in history is not the Roman Empire. It was not Greek civilization. It is not the United Nations. The most important institution on the face of the planet uh, holds its meetings under acacia trees in Africa, uh, secretly gathers together in basements in China, uh, eats potluck dinners in beat-up, dingy, out-of-the-way buildings in Midwest America. The most important institution on the face of the planet, the most important group that has ever existed, sits in this room tonight. And it's not because there's anything particularly special about you or I or anything. Um, we might just be like this crappy pen right here. But it's because the most important being in the universe chooses to use it for the most important task in the universe. Which, as Peter describes right here, is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are the most amazing beautiful, important organization on the planet. And when I say, when we say that what we want for you is to make life in the body of Christ a priority, uh, that's not a big ask. That's actually the most logical thing you could do to make life in the most important organization in the world a priority. It just makes sense. That's just like the only reasonable thing you can do is make something like this a priority. And that's what we want for you, is that you would um, not just make, make it a priority, that kind of sounds like top of my checklist, but that you would value this thing, this organization, this household of God, or this temple of God, or this chosen people, this bride of Christ, that you would love it like he loves it, and that you would value it like he values it. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to do that a little bit more. Um, but each week we're going to do something different. We, in order to kind of help you with that, we want to actually introduce you to some people who have learned to do that thing, who in their own life have learned what it looks like to love the church and what it looks like to let the church be an important part of their life. And so we're going to take a break for just a couple minutes, and then, and then we're going to uh, come back and, and let them share a little bit of that with you guys. All right? And what you do and for a living, a little bit about your, your family. Okay, um, my name is Melinda Wilson, and I work at OSU during the day. Um, I work in the research department, and Ellie just brought back there, just joined our department, so I saw her this week, and I was like, hi, my name's Melinda, and she's like, my name's Ellie, I know you, and I'm like, oh, yes, yes, we do, this is awesome, so um, I'm kind of a big nerd with customer service is the easiest way to describe what I do during the day. At night, I'm a martial artist, we have a, a martial arts school, we teach uh, Taekwondo and Krav Maga. 
and which is a lot of fun. I think so, I don't know if any of you've been came to the self defense class that we did, but we should do it again. Casey did. Yes, we should. Self defense camp. We need to do. We need to schedule that. So. She yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Hi. My my daughter Mom. said that you were very good. She said it was scary. That's what it was. <laughs> scary. <laughs> but you know, in a self defense class, that means really good. We want that. Yeah. You want, we want to be scary. So yeah. We need to. We really need to do that again. So. Yes. Go. So so did you tell them about Thomas? Did you mention? Oh, I did mention Thomas. Because you kept saying we, and I don't know if they know. We, I mean, how do you not know? Melinda and Thomas go together. Thomas is my husband. He's amazing. We teach and train together. He works at OU Health Sciences Center in Oklahoma City. Um, he does. He's a biostatistician, so he does research and numbers and and all sorts of stuff. We've been married just around at ten years. We both have our bachelor's in mathematics, and we married on National Pi Day, which is 3.14. We did not do it on purpose. It was like the first time he out of coach, because he was coaching and teaching, and it was the first weekend um, spring break, and it just worked out, because we are kind of nerds. That's awesome. I did not know that. And our karate school is Infinity Martial Arts, oh. because we serve an infinite God, and also the math high. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I am a big nerd. I love calculus. And okay, stuff. so I don't know if you caught this. So she's married, been married 10 years. She works at OSU. She owns a karate dojo. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Well, I, you know. What do you call it? We used, to, we used to say school because it's school. a universal term that everybody understands. Okay. People like dojo, like they think different things. I don't know. So, I'm just, yeah. you know, old It doesn't school. matter. Apparently. Yeah, you can be old school. Okay. Okay. Spencer? I'm Spencer Campbell. Um, I am 36. And <laughs> that was a question. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm from Stillwater, born and raised. Um, went to school here. Uh, I work at Ditchwich over in Perry. And I'm in marketing. Um, so I do uh, different things in marketing at Ditchwich. Um, I have a lovely wife, and her name is Katie. We met in college here. She's sitting right here. And um, yeah, we've got um, three kids uh, two boys and a girl. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I commute to Perry every day, and uh, my wife uh, keeps our family together and does amazing things with our kids, and she's a, a professional baker. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> yes, Katie so, Bates. Katie yeah. Bates, Katie check Bates. it out. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations coming up for any of you guys. But, um, yeah, so, uh, okay, that's kind of... I don't do martial arts. Um, I'm not into math. Um, I probably should take a self-defense class. You, you obviously aren't into math. You didn't even know how old you were. I know. But he does bike. I do. Yeah, I do bike. I do enjoy bicycling. Um, so yeah, that's great. Okay, just just a couple word association things so they can get to know you. Oh, and I forgot. I'm sorry, but Drew, the best pin on the planet is the Pilot G2. Amen. In no. a seven. No. In a seven. I'm with you and Amen. only point five. Like right. and right. Time to graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. All right. So here, here's, uh, here's a few words. First word that comes to mind. Disney. World. Oh. Chaos. Chaos. I like that. Yeah. Chaos. Okay. I'm not a big Disney fan. I've never been there. Okay. What about this? College. Hard times. You can say it. It's okay. It's a lost. safe environment. Okay. Lost. That's a safe way to. Yeah. 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 Lost. Okay. In capital letters. Okay. All right. What about this? 90s. High school. High school. Me too. Yeah. I'm old. I'm what, 41. What, what year? Oh, I'm older. A little bit, yeah. Dang it. <laughs> I'm to ask older people to be here. All right. Music. I don't know why. Music. 90s I like music. music from the 90s. Okay. Here's, here's, here's one. Drew. <laughs> I was hoping to put you on the spot. You can say hipster. You can say <laughs> beard. It's going to be a little more polite. I was going to say... Spiritual. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I knocked his pen. I figured I'd yeah. make up for it. So, okay. yeah. I actually think Amy. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great option. 
Better half. All right. Uh, last one is church. Family. Okay. My word that comes to mind for that is responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, which is kind of why you're here. I told them. So when I, I asked them to come, I, you know, I told them I, we wanted them to talk about why the church is important to them. And so that was basically the first question I sent you. You know, when you think of church, what do you think of? Why is it important to you? Those kinds of things. So, and I, you know, and I want you guys to have the opportunity to tell a little, tell a little bit of your kind of journey with the church, um, if you can. So, so go. Who wants to start? I was born in church. Um, I've been in church. I wasn't literally oh, born okay. in church. Sorry, but um, I've. I, um, but there was a cool story coming. <laughs> no. On high day, I was born in the church. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. Um, so yeah, I grew up in church. I it was going to church. It was such a, a huge part of our lives. You know, my mom and dad. My grandpa was a church planner, and uh, my great grandpa was a church planner. My dad's side, and my mom's dad was. So it was just always there, and we always went. Um, my family wasn't always, you know, we were, I felt like we were the family that they put on their Sunday faces and went. And so I just always remember church was just like a, a safe place for me most of the time. Like, I don't know that, because life was difficult for me without going into a lot of details. But, you know, I did not have an easy childhood. But I, I gave the, my life to the Lord at like, you know, four, five, or six, somewhere around in there. And I really believe it was valid because I wouldn't have made it without that. And so I would go to church, and I and I just always remember floating. <laughs> you know, that's the only word I could say is like I floated because it was safe. It was in a. I didn't understand family at that point because I, you know, my mom and dad and my brother, they were supposed to be, you know, the family, but they were awful at it. And and I just continued to go. And so as soon as I came to Stillwater, you know, twenty something years ago, I didn't know anything but to go to church. I, I mean, I should have found that. I should have calculated how many times I've been to church because you know, it'd be a lot. I, I very seldom I don't miss. I it's just such a part of who I who I am and it I mean, I don't my family or the blood family they're they're, they're difficult and not that our church family is always perfect and safe, but it is it is it's a different kind of family and you know, as I got to college and started my eyes began to open up and see like Oh, there's so much more to this, and uh, you know the people begin to take me in as their family, and I begin to share. I'd never shared anything about my childhood to anybody until I came to college, and we became a part of a family of church, and they were like, oh, you know, and experienced some sort of unconditional love, like I had never experienced that. It was like do this, and then then okay, I'll be nice to you now, and so to walk into a college ministry back in the '90s and be like. It just threw me for a loop. It took me a long time to kind of understand and grasp. And up until this point, I'm like, I, you know, Thomas and I travel a lot. We're gone on the weekends, but we have to be at church on Sunday morning because that's our family time. You know, we, we weren't able to have children. We weren't able to, so it's he and I. And to be able to have that outlet to be around kids and to older people and younger people who I think, you know, they do a good job faking it, I guess. You know, just kidding. You know, but did it. But to genuinely be loved and accepted no matter what, you know, and to not be perfect and to see and see people deal with imperfections and be like, it's okay, let's talk about it, let's work it out. I mean, you know, my journey in church has not always been perfect, but it is, I think, what, how Drew said the backwards thing of how we think about, you know, our family should look like the church. That makes a lot of sense. Like, that's good. Yeah. And so I can see how that, and how that has made our marriage, my, Thomas and our, my, our family, like more like Christ because of our both of our desires to be in the church. So you don't remember for you there wasn't a time where you you know that you can remember as an adult walking away from the church and coming back. Oh, I've, ne I've never walked away. It has mm -hmm. been life sore. It has been absolutely even in, you know, lost crazy college not really graduate but out of college needing to get back to all of that time I never I was like, there's no way I would be alive. I'm a, I'm a miracle had I not had people from a church body. Like, never. I've always been in church. I mean, I, mean, I missed a little bit here yeah. in college, but for the most part, Sunday morning. I mean, I may be outside on the strip Saturday night, but <laughs> most likely was in church Sunday morning. Okay. Okay, 
Spence, what about you? What, what's the <coughs> Well, um, I guess for me growing up, I, since I grew up in Stillwater, um, so this, this town and Sunnybrook for a long time has been pretty familiar to me. Um, but growing up, church was, um, and I think seasonal is kind of the best way I can describe it. I, I just remember for a while we'd go to, um, go to church, we'd get plugged into a church, um, and then over time, for whatever reason, um, we'd end up, we wouldn't go to church. Um, my dad was in retail for a long time in Stillwater, and so the only day off he had was Sunday. Um, and just early on in those days, um, church was a priority until it wasn't, and then we would kind of not go to church, and then we would, um, you know, my dad would kind of get us back into church, we might go try a different church. Um, and so we've grown up, we, we tried a handful of churches, we were members at a couple different churches, um, but I guess for lack of a better phrase, nothing really stuck until we started going to Sunnybrook, um, and I was probably in, well, I guess middle school, um, kind of right after, I started going to Sunnybrook with some friends who went to Sunnybrook before it moved out where it is now, so the smaller old Sunnybrook building, um, and then we didn't become members um, until it was um, out on Richmond, but um, really, once I started going to Sunnybrook with some friends, and then our, my family started going to Sunnybrook, and then we joined, that was kind of... I don't know, maybe the turning point of actually church becoming more of a, like, part of our life, our family, and that was kind of a, a more of a priority than it, than it had been in the past. And so, um, through that, and through being a part of um, Paul's youth uh, ministry and all the stuff um, he did and continues to do at Sunnybrook, I got plugged in um, to that, um, and church was, I got baptized when I was probably 11 or 12 at a previous church we went to, um, so I, I got baptized early. But um, when we started going to Sunnybrook, church was more of a, for me, I guess, it was more of a social group. Um, all my buddies went to Sunnybrook. We, we did Sunnybrook stuff on Wednesday nights and on Sundays, and um, that's where my friends went. And so that was kind of how I viewed church when I was younger. Um, but we consistently still went to church, you know, with the earthquake and all that stuff. Um, and then I got to college, and um, I... I would go to church because I knew my dad wanted me to be there, right? And he that was kind of their time that they could kind of see that I was still alive. Um, we lived in the same town, but I, you know, my brother was always going home, checking in, calling my parents, and I was the one that just kind of, I might as well have lived in some other state. Um, I didn't go home, I didn't call, I didn't talk to my parents, I'd see them on Sundays, um, some Sundays. Um, and that was kind of it. Um, and I kind of did the college thing. Um, and church just wasn't really uh, on my radar. And when I was there, um, you know, most of the time I wasn't, I wasn't present. Um, and so that kind of season of my life um, kind of existed. But church was kind of on the outside edge, still there, still um, plugged in through my family. But uh, church was not... Um, a priority for me and then I, I graduated um, moved to Tulsa and started working uh, Katie had a year left of college um, and so we lived apart um, and then she graduated we got married and then she we moved in together in, in Tulsa and lived in Tulsa for uh, a little over a year or so after college um, and church at, even at that point um, I just church wasn't I wasn't interested in church um, I really wasn't interested in the responsibility of church and all that. Um, and then we moved back to Stillwater when I started working at Ditchwich, um, oh, I guess 12 years ago. Um, we moved back, started working at Ditchwich. Um, I um, kind of through that time after college and, and up until a certain point, um, not only did I not place a priority on church, I kind of proactively was against church, and um, for a while, you know, Katie was starting to just have a heart to get back into a church, she felt like that's what we needed to do, that's kind of what you do, you go to church, so we gave a, a couple churches in Stillwater a try, and I went because she wanted to go, and that was why I was there, was because that's what my wife wanted to do, so I spent uh, maybe a year, year and a half, kind of with that heart and that attitude, um, and then we got pregnant with our son, our first son, who's eight now. 
and you know, he, he my, my whole family and all three of my kids are such a part of my testimony, but he specifically, just from the standpoint of, you know, I went through that period of when you have a, a child, it just, your first one changes you. Um, and to me, that was kind of where it all kind of swirled back into place. And I can still remember it. I, I, you know, this is part of my testimony, but I was, I was rocking him upstairs in his bedroom one night and it just kind of like dawned on me. And I've never been able to tell this without getting a little emotional, but um, when I was looking at him, literally in my arms, I was like, okay, so this God that my wife talks about and that I know, like, as much as I love this kid, he loves me infinitely more. And then, like, this deal we were talking about earlier, like, there's no other way to live. Like, if, you're, if you claim to be a part of the body of Christ, like, there's no other way to do life without, like, the church. That's just, like, it. And so for me at that moment, I was like, well, wait a second. If, if somebody loves me infinitely more than I love this kid, this child, like, I can't not, like, like live any other way. And then kind of around that time, it was like, okay, I'm in. Let's do this. And so, you know, we both were going through our own kind of um, path. And ever since then, it's just like the, the paradigm just shifted. And in church at that point... Um, while it's never perfect for us either, um, and I'm never perfect at it, um, it is the most important thing uh, in our family. Um, and Sunnybrook is always through those seasons, and even from then until t- t- today, t- today um, how we look at church and how I view church and my role in the church, um, as it moves and God shapes me in that and shapes our family in that, um, Sunnybrook, the church, um, the body, um, has always been kind of right, right there. Um, so, yeah. How, can you guys think of some ways in which the church has maybe challenged or encouraged you in your in your faith and your walk with Christ? Um, I would, I would say. Really, I guess that idea of, of responsibility. I mean, I'm looking at this this middle one, this commitment to community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think about. Like, and that word responsibility, it's like a, um, I don't know, like a, like to me, the responsibility that I have with the church is, is like this honor, like this 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 beautiful responsibility and this role that I play in the story of of, of God's church. Um, and you know, the idea that he that he uh, created me and, and, and chose me and, and made me and formed me in his image and, and gives me this responsibility, this beautiful opportunity to be a part of his church, um, that's, that's kind of what, what I think about and how I look at, at church and how, how the church has kind of shaped me. It, it's, like I said earlier, that paradigm shift of it's not just me, um, and it's not just me going to church, um, going to the building where we have church. Um, it's going there as a, as a willing uh, participant and, and understanding how important that worship service is in that building and how important um, I am to the people around me um, in that building during that worship service. Um, and then one of the, the biggest things is, is we, we've kind of grown as a family that Sunnybrook um, that we're so thankful for is Sunnybrook is, is the kind of church that challenges you to be the church outside of Sunnybrook, right? Um, equip uh, the people that go to, to Sunnybrook, not not only just to do church on Sunday, because really, and like Katie and I were talking earlier, like, you know, one of the things that's kind of impressed upon me through Sunnybrook and obviously through through the words of the Bible is like we have a responsibility to, to, to go to church, to a worship service, and worship well and be poured into, but then take that outside of the walls of, of Sunnybrook and, and take that message beyond the, the church on Sunday morning. And, and to me, that's kind of where, where the responsibility is and where the challenge is, um, because it's never perfect. It's never exactly the way God designed it, but um, that's always the, the, the challenge that, 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 that we take with it. So, yeah. I, um, I like what you had to say. That's really good. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest things I've had to learn, and it actually happened when I got to Sunnybrook, is being vulnerable and letting people be in my community, because... I thought that I could do it all, but, you know, I'm like, well, I'm at church, but then it's like, how are you actually a part of this community? Are you just, 
No, I, I've never been a person just to walk in. I'm going to find something or I'm going to volunteer. Or I'm going to do something. And yeah, that's a responsibility that I have. But on the flip side of that, I was not letting the community be community for me. And I had, it was Thomas and I both, we had some hard lessons in letting, oh, okay, no, because right after we started coming to Sunnybrook, we ended up moving from Stillwater, or Perkins to Stillwater, and we had it all planned out for ourselves, man. We had rented the biggest truck. We're both strong. We, we, we literally, fit, we could carry everything that we owned. He and I can move it with, you know, the dolly and stuff. We weren't going to ask for help, and he was certainly not going to. And we got to, we went to get our big truck with everything, and they, they had the smallest truck available for us. And we were closing houses on the same day. When you get to be old, you don't ever close for houses on sale on the same day. That's a bad idea. Always don't do that. Um, so it kind of put us homeless in this little tiny truck. We didn't know what to do. And so Chip Park showed up with some people that we had never met, met and we were still teaching karate classes, and I came home, and our stuff was packed. And it was that was one of the first things, and they're like, oh, you're not going to go get a hotel. You're coming here. And it just, I mean, it just blew our, blew our, me and we didn't know what to think, that people were like, oh, yeah. And then when we moved into the house, because it took like five days to close, that's a long story. But, you know, when we, the people there that we'd never met, they were just a part of our family at Sunnybrook. And it was, it's just, it's being forced to, I mean, now it's like, oh, I do want to ask for help because not only does it make the load lighter, it's like I have built a lot of relationships by letting people into my life and letting the vice versa, you know, yeah. and just being able to know people deeper or more yeah. than a, how you doing? Great. Yeah. Good. Yeah, you really kind of, you, you both hit on something that I think is huge in that a church, being being a part of a church means allowing the church to challenge you to be who God's calling you to be. And so th there's a there's a level of vulnerability in that where you say, okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be a part of this, then I'm gonna allow it to speak into my life. We we say this at Sunnybrook that God's Spirit speaks through um, through His Word, but also through His people. And I have to recognize that if this is where God has me, then then these people that God has put in my life are in a lot of ways can be the voice of God to me. And so to challenge me to, to live for him outside of these walls and to challenge me to open my life up to, um, to others, to allow my, to my life to be open. You know, to, it's, all of us understand we're supposed to love other people. I think, I think we don't talk about enough um, that it's just as important to let people love you. And that's, for most of us, really difficult. It's a lot easier for us to serve it's a lot easier for us to go to help move somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But then when people you don't know show up, it's like, well, okay, there's probably somebody else that needs something more than I do. Yeah. And it's hard to let people in. Yeah. yeah. One of the ways that that's kind of manifested itself for me is like when we were talking about this at dinner, um, when, our, when our kids started like getting involved, when they were old enough to get involved in youth programs and you kind of just turn them loose. And I remember like, and one of the things that Katie pointed out to me earlier was she she remembers like just my reaction to seeing like these strangers at Sunnybrook like loving on my kids, right? Like, um, and it's it I don't know just like that illustration of like somebody that I don't know, but we're brothers or sisters in this this church, um, and they they love and care for my kids. Like, I love and care for my kids, and I'm able to, to do the same for them. But, like, when you said that deal about letting others serve you, like, um, where that really came clear to me was um, just, like, watching these people, like, just take care of my kids. Like, love love my kids from a biblical perspective and want to, to help them flourish and to grow. And, um, and just seeing that played out um, just was really... Um, I, I don't know, for some reason, until that happened to me and we saw that firsthand, I, I just never really thought about that yeah. um, and never really kind of expected something like that yeah. um, just watching people that, that you don't know just love your kids you know yeah. um, and be willing to pour into them um, I've got a really good friend of mine a brother that didn't have a dad and but he but he had a Sunnybrook and there was a man at Sunnybrook that, that, that volunteered on Wednesday nights and was a father figure to this kid who didn't have one 
and that guy is so plugged into the story of God, his role as a father, his kids are growing up with a biblical example of, of a father, because this guy took it upon himself, and he knew that because he loved God, he was supposed to serve this boy, um, and just to see that, how that changed his life, um, and that's, I mean, yeah. that's the church. Yeah, yeah. So the church is, and it's supposed to be a beautiful thing that um, that you and I are called to be a part of as a follower of Jesus. And so, you know, what I hope happens to, not, not only tonight but over the next couple of weeks is you you hear you hear not only what the Bible says about it, but also you hear these stories and you begin to think about what what is life for you look like when you leave here. And, and, and maybe that, and I, I think actually that starts now. I think it starts now thinking about what, how, how am I a part of the church? How am I giving and serving and, and, being, and benefiting from being a part of the community? And so I'll, we're going to end it because we're a little over, um, but I'd love to... Can I add one? Oh, please. As you guys move and graduate, like, it's hard work. Like, it doesn't just come to you. Like, you have to put effort into finding that community like don't get discouraged the first time you go somewhere like there is a place and like hang tight like work work at it let people know that you are there like it's not all one-sided it always has to be both ways yes yes i just want to encourage you guys don't be discouraged when you try to find a new church yeah sorry 36 seconds more you're good um let me pray and then if you have any questions for them you can come up they'll be here for a little bit afterwards and then and we'll be done. God, thank you for tonight and for um, allowing us to be here to, to really have a different night to reflect on this incredible thing that you created called the church. Well, I pray that we would leave here with a greater desire to make life in, in a part of your body uh, a priority in our life. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.